chapters sixteen and seventeen of recollections of napoleon at st helena by elizabeth balcom abel this librivox recording is in the public domain sixteen he that has sailed upon the dark blue sea has viewed at times i ween a full fair sight when the fresh breeze is fair as breeze may be the white sail set the gallant frigate tight byron i recollect being at longwood one beautiful day the atmosphere had that peculiar lightness and brilliancy which in a great measure constituted the charm of the climate of st helena the sea lay glistening in the sun like a sheet of quicksilver the little merry waves bursting in sparkling foam at the foot of the stupendous rocks and the exquisite soft verdure immediately surrounding longwood formed a very pleasant contrast to the stern features of the rest of the island it was one of those days in which the past and the future are alike disregarded anxious thought is suspended for a moment and the present alone is felt and enjoyed i remember bounding up to st denis and asking for napoleon my joyousness was somewhat damped by the gravity with which he replied that the emperor was watching the approach of the conqueror then coming in bearing the flag of admiral pamplin you will find him he said near madame bertrand's but he is in no mood for badinage to-day mademoiselle notwithstanding this check i proceeded towards the cottage and in a moment the whole tone of my mind was changed from gaiety to sadness young as i was i could not help being strongly impressed by the intense melancholy of his expression the ashes of a thousand thoughts were on his brow he was standing with general bertrand his eyes bent sadly on the seventy-four which was yet but a speck in the line of the horizon the magnificent ship soon grew upon our sight as beating up to windward silently yet proudly she pursued her brave career sailing amid the loneliness like a thing endowed with heart and mind she seemed the very impersonation of majesty byron thought the ocean with a single vessel moving over it the most poetical object in nature perhaps its utter loneliness is the cause the thought has since occurred to me that napoleon might then have gazed upon that ship as typical of his own fortunes so lordly yet mastered and impelled by some unseen resistless power towards that wild shore destined to be the tomb of all his daring hopes and mad ambition such spirits are undoubtedly sent into the world by an omniscient providence for a beneficent and merciful purpose their fiery course is run they would still urge on but their headlong rashness may be made the instrument of their ruin and the stern hand of death arrest them before they have tasted of that earthly glory for which they toiled their deeds however still live and become often benefits to mankind though springing from an evil source the emperor after a long silence commented on the beautiful management of the vessel the english are kings upon the sea he said and then smiling somewhat sarcastically added i wonder what they think of our beautiful island they cannot be much elated by the sight of my gigantic prison walls his natural prejudice against the island rendered him blind to the many beauties with which it abounded he beheld all with a jaundiced eye thus ever do our views of life take their colouring from our feelings and the nature of the circumstances in which we are placed our eyes see all around in gloom with hues of their own fresh borrowed from the heart he would frequently rail at the island in no measured language i always defended it in proportionate terms of praise sometimes he laughed at my impertinence and at others he would pinch my ear and ask me how i could possibly dare to have an opinion on the subject 
the emperor had that great charm in social life of being amused and interested in matters of trifling import it seems to me to be an attribute of his countrymen from which no doubt they derive that vivacity and talent de société generally possessed by them but which from our inherent reserve and national shyness would sit awkwardly on us english it would be something like the statue of hercules in the national gallery stepping from his pedestal and taking sarito's place in the pas de l'ombre napoleon was very fond of extracting from me my little store of knowledge acquired from i fear rather desultory reading however being fond of books and having a retentive memory i could apparently chain his interest for some hours now mademoiselle betsy he would say i hope you have been good child and learnt all your lesson which he said purposely to annoy me as i was anxious to be thought full-grown and like most young ladies of my age scorned the idea of being called a child deeming myself fully competent to embark upon the troublous sea of life and to battle with its storms without the rudder of experience he was much interested in a favourite study of mine namely the account of the discovery and colonization of st helena by the portuguese and he would listen attentively while i repeated it for i had it almost by heart my young brother alexander had a pet goat of which he was very fond and the animal used to draw him about in a little carriage one day napoleon had given him a little box made by pierron full of bonbons when my brother had eaten all his sugar-plums and was grieving over his exhausted store he unluckily chanced to espy a pill-box which with other medicines had been inadvertently placed on a bench in the garden he carefully put some of its contents into his bonbonniere and gravely walking up to the emperor presented it napoleon always good-natured to the child and supposing them to be sugar-plums helped himself to one and began eating it i need not say how soon it was ejected and what coughing and nausea ensued when my little brother's mischievous trick was divulged and it was found that pills of a very unpalatable nature had been offered to and swallowed by the emperor the poor little fellow got soundly whipped by my father to whom his naughty conduct had been made known by lacaze who witnessed the joke and immediately reported it he knew my father to be too severe a disciplinarian to overlook even a trifling fault my father had been suffering from a violent attack of gout which prevented his riding to longwood as was his daily habit when he saw napoleon after his recovery the emperor began laughing at him and told him if he sat a shorter time after dinner he would have fewer attacks of gout he asked him what remedies he had resorted to to be cured my father replied he had taken eau medicinale upon which napoleon laughingly remarked had he drank more pure water and less wine he might have dispensed with the eau medicinale he told him he was too young to want physic as remedies ought only to be resorted to by the old in speaking of his own abstemious habits he observed that he drank very little wine however the little he did drink was absolutely taken medicinally and he always found himself better after it feeling convinced that if he left it off he should soon become ill one of his principal specifics was a warm salt water bath mr omera told us that having recommended napoleon a dose of medicine soon after he came to st helena he answered him by a slap in the face and told him if he were not better on the morrow he should have recourse to his own remedy abstinence and a bath he was very fond of asking anatomical questions and often fancied that he had disease of the heart and made omera count its pulsations he constantly complained of illness from the exposed situation of longwood the wind continually beating in his face or the sun scorching his brain he used to observe when at the briars that he never suffered any ailment for there he had shady and sheltered walks 
certainly longwood was very bleak and scarcely any vegetables would grow upon it except a kind of coarse cow-grass which even horses refuse a long interval frequently elapsed between our visits to the emperor a few months previously to our leaving st helena he had been very ill and from mr omera's account we feared he might never rally from the state of prostration of mind and body into which he had sunk he was obstinate in refusing to take exercise disliking the strict watch kept over him on the occasion of his walking abroad and he declared he would rather die at once than use the only means recommended of alleviating his disorder mr omera entreated permission to call in a brother surgeon that in the event of his complaint continuing obstinate blame might not be attached to him for trusting solely to his opinion i recollect hearing mr omera repeat the emperor's reply which was to this effect that if all the physicians in the universe were collected they would but repeat what you have already advised me to take constant exercise on horseback i am well aware of the truth of what you say but were i to call in mr it would be but like sending a physician to a starving man instead of giving him a loaf of bread i have no objection to your making known to him my state of health if it be any satisfaction to you but i know that he will say exercise as long as this strict surveillance is enforced i will never stir out it was in vain dr omera again and again urged the subject his invariable reply was would you have me render myself liable to be stopped and insulted by the sentries surrounding my house as madame bertrand was some days ago it would have made a fine caricature in the london print shops napoleon bonaparte stopped at the gate by a sentinel charging him with a fixed bayonet how the londoners would have laughed the only one of his suite who appeared careless of these restrictions was general gourgaud he had been stopped napoleon observed fifty times once when at the briars he said he had been treated rather unceremoniously by a sentry and complaints being made to the admiral that officer was really displeased about it and took every precaution to prevent a recurrence of such annoyance when we saw napoleon after this illness the havoc and change it had made in his appearance was sad to look upon his face was literally the colour of yellow wax and his cheeks had fallen in pouches on either side his face his ankles were so swollen that the flesh literally hung over his shoes he was so weak that without resting one hand on a table near him and the other on the shoulder of an attendant he could not have stood i was so grieved at seeing him in such a pitiable state that my eyes overflowed with tears and i could with difficulty forbear sobbing aloud he saw how shocked we were and tried to make light of it saying he was sure the good omera would soon cure him but my mother observed when we had left that death was stamped on every feature he however rallied from this attack to pass nearly three more years in hopeless misery for it became more evident to him that the anticipation in which he indulged on first coming to st helena of quitting the island became fainter as health declined and time wore on the emperor expressed much curiosity to be introduced to a mr manning who had arrived at st helena on his voyage to england from china which country he had visited after exploring the unknown and at that time untravelled kingdom of tibet napoleon said he had a great curiosity to hear something relating to their mode of worshipping the grand lama as he was induced to believe most of the accounts he had read and heard of it were fabulous i described the impression mr manning had made on me by his imposing appearance his dress was like that of a mandarin and he wore a long black beard which reached to his waist 
he had during the war been a prisoner in france and had been treated with great clemency by napoleon thus was each party anxious to see the other mr manning had brought many very curious presents for napoleon which he had collected in his travels he obtained a pass to see the emperor he said he had been presented to the lama who was a very intelligent boy of seven years old that he had gone through the same forms as the other worshippers who were admitted to the celestial presence napoleon asked him if he were not afraid of being seized as a spy the traveller did not seem pleased that the emperor should have thought that this appearance should have conveyed such an impression but he laughingly pointed to his beard and dress and seemed much diverted with his interview he could not think how they jealous as they were in their religious rites should have admitted an unbeliever into their sacred temple and have permitted him to approach the lama mr manning said he honoured and respected all religions as did napoleon the emperor wished to know if he had passed for an englishman as the shape of his nose was too good for a tartar mr manning replied that he had been taken for a hindu which from the regularity of his features and fine eyes might easily have been the case napoleon told him that travellers were privileged to tell marvellous stories and he hoped he was not doing so in relating the wonders of tibet he wanted to know if it were true that the revenues of the grand lama were derived from the gifts of the multitudes that daily flocked from all parts to worship at his shrine as well as from priestly extortion manning told the emperor it was quite true and complimented him upon being as well informed as the traveller himself the lama was subject to the chinese he never married neither did his priest the body into which according to their belief the spirit passed was found out by the priests from certain signs napoleon's conference with the traveller lasted some time he asked a thousand questions respecting the chinese their language customs etc when the interview was concluded he observed it had given him greater pleasure than he had experienced for many long months seventeen unsepulchred they roamed and shrieked each wandering ghost upon one occasion sir george bingham gave a grand ball to all the people on the island as a sort of return for civilities shown to him and his officers of the fifty-third regiment it was the prettiest thing of the kind and the best one i ever remember either before or since and as the scene of revel was close to longwood we were told the emperor had the curiosity to take a peep at it incognito i verily believe he had from the faithful and animated detail he entered into respecting it the next day and his criticisms upon dancing dress etc the first attempt at waltzing was made on that occasion in the saraband and he took off a certain young lady's graceless movement so inimitably that we felt sure he had indulged himself with a peep sir g cockburn had a beautiful dog of the newfoundland breed which was a great favourite both from its beauty and docility it was very fond of accompanying its noble master whenever he honoured the briars with a visit for the place abounded with ponds and rivulets in which tom pipe delighted to swim and cool himself after following at the horse's heels up the mountain under a sultry tropical sun one time as napoleon was engaged making notes in the garden of the briars close to a large pond full of gold and silver fish i called the dog to have a gamble and refresh himself with a bath well knowing his custom was to shake his huge sides after ducking and then woe betide the person nearest him whilst this operation was performing they were sure to have their clothes completely saturated such was now the case for pipes enjoyed his bath immensely and dived and ducked about much to the consternation of the gold and silver fish when he thought he had had enough he scrambled up the bank 
took his place by the emperor's side who was so much absorbed by his employment as to be unaware of the shower bath in store for him and it was not until a vigorous shake of the dog and a plentiful besprinkling all over dress and person that he found out the mischief of which i had been the cause the paper on which he had written was spoiled and he presented a very deplorable figure himself it was impossible to help laughing although he was very angry for tom pipes would not go away he had been a shipmate of napoleon's on board the northumberland and was so glad to see him again that he kept jumping on him with his wet paws thereby adding mud to wet and dust one morning as we were walking or rather scrambling among the rocks that close in the waterfall near the briars we espied something hanging over the ledge of a rock above us which had the appearance of a soldier in his uniform the height was so great and the precipice so perpendicular that it was an utter impossibility for us to attempt scaling it to ascertain what it could be but still it looked so strange in the position of the man if man it were so perilous that we determined on returning to the cottage to send forth some one of the bolder heart and steadier nerves than our party possessed who might throw a light upon the mysterious occupant of the rocky ledge on our way we encountered count lacaz and the emperor whose curiosity had also been directed to the object which had excited our attention he had seen it from his pavilion and was reconnoitring it with his little spy-glass the same with which he viewed the battle of waterloo we asked him what he thought it could be he looked grave and replied we had better return to the house and remain there for a time as we might probably be shocked at a scene which he doubted not would soon present itself he had discovered by the aid of his glass that the object which had raised our curiosity was the corpse of a soldier who must have met his death by some dreadful accident his conjecture was soon ascertained to be too true a soldier had obtained leave of absence the night before for a few hours and was to have been back by sunset he outstayed his leave beguiling time with some old comrades and had perhaps indulged too freely at the shrine of bacchus but be that as it may on finding he had exceeded his time and being well aware of the severe discipline necessarily maintained at this time on the island he had tried to reach his barrack by a short cut missed his footing and was precipitated over the ledge falling from a height of at least one hundred feet we were all in a state of the most painful excitement during the ceremony of the coroner's inquest which was held on the dead man i recollect napoleon did not lose that occasion of hinting to my father that if the poor soldier had sat less time after dinner he probably would not have met with so dreadful a fate about that time there was quite a chapter of tragical accidents one of which has flashed on my mind my young brother had a kind of tutor faute de mieux a curious character whose name was huff he had been an inhabitant of the island i believe at that time nearly half a century this old man since the arrival of napoleon had taken many strange fancies into his brain among others that he was destined to restore the fallen hero to his pristine glory and that he could at any time free him from thraldom all argument with this old man upon the folly of his ravings was useless he still persisted in it and it soon became evident that old huff was mad and though strictly watched he found an opportunity one fatal morning to destroy himself an inquest was held on him fellow d'essay returned as verdict for there was much method evinced in his madness and his body was ordered to be interred in the spot where three cross-roads met the nearest to the scene where the act was committed was the road leading to the briars and there they buried the old man i had amongst many other follies a terror of ghosts and this weakness was well known to the emperor who for a considerable time after the suicide of poor huff 
used to frighten me nearly into fits every night just before my hour of retiring to my room he would call out miss betsy ol huff ol huff the misery of those nights i shall never forget i used generally to fly out of my bed during the night and scramble into my mother's room and remain there till morning's light dispelled the terrors of darkness one evening when my mother my sister and myself were quietly sitting in the porch of the cottage enjoying the coolness of the night breeze suddenly we heard a noise and turning round beheld a figure in white how i screamed we were then greeted with a low gruff laugh which my mother instantly knew to be the emperor's she turned the white covering and underneath appeared the black visage of a little servant of ours whom napoleon had instigated to frighten miss betsy while he was himself a spectator of the effect of his trick this pleasantry of napoleon's gave rise soon after to a ghost scene which was enacted to the life by one of our runaway slaves of the name of ally he had been missing for many weeks and had eluded all search pigs poultry bread all the contents of the larder nightly disappeared no one knew how but the servants affirmed that a figure in white was seen hovering around the valley and skipping from rock to rock they were so alarmed none would venture out singly days and weeks went on napoleon's cook complaining in common with ours of depredations committed on his cuisine and not having the benefit of a market to replace the loss it was a matter of no small annoyance i firmly believed it to be huff's ghost and became quite ill from sleepless nights being literally afraid to close my eyes at length after repeated unsuccessful watching my father and some friends saw a figure stealing along the valley which led towards the house they watched it uninterruptedly until it appeared within hail and upon receiving no answer to their challenge they fired in the direction a scream soon told the effect of their shot hastening to the spot they beheld a negro slave whom they discovered to be the runaway alley the poor boy was much hurt though not mortally when daylight came they repaired to his haunt which was the most ingeniously contrived cave nature ever formed imperceptible until you came close to it the entrance being low and covered by a sheltering rock there he had lived for weeks close to his master and had nightly prowled about lightening our larders and robbing the hen-roosts napoleon entered the cave with us and seemed much diverted at the piles of bones collected and neatly arranged by the slave after he had disposed of their various integuments he said it reminded him of one of the catacombs in paris i recollect exhibiting to napoleon a caricature of him in the act of climbing a ladder each step he ascended represented some vanquished country at length he was seated astride upon the world it was a famous toy and by a dexterous trick napoleon appeared on the contrary side tumbling down head over heels and after a perilous descent alighting on st helena i ought not to have shown him this burlesque on his misfortunes but at that time i was guilty of every description of mad action though without any intention of being unkind still i fear they were often deeply felt my father of whom i always stood in awe heard of my rudeness and desired me to consider myself under arrest for at least a week and i was transferred from the drawing-room to a dark cellar and there left to solitude and repentance i did not soon forget that punishment for the excavation swarmed with rats that leaped about me on all sides i was half dead with horror and should most certainly have been devoured alive by the vermin had i not in despair seized a bottle of wine and dashed it amongst my assailants 
finding that i succeeded in occasioning a momentary panic i continued to diminish the pile of claret near me and kept my enemies at bay as the first faint light of morning dawned through my prison bars i was startled to perceive what my victory would cost my father for i was surrounded by heaps of broken bottles and rivulets of wine and either from exhaustion or the exhalation from the saturated ground of the cellar i was found by the slave who brought me my breakfast in the morning in a state of stupor from which i was with difficulty aroused my father was too happy at my escape to blame me for the means i resorted to to preserve myself from hungry foes and i was forgiven my ill-judged pleasantry to the emperor the latter expressed regret at my severe punishment for so trifling an offence but was much amused by my relation of the battle with the rats he said he had been startled by observing a huge one jumping out of his hat as he was in the act of putting it on on a subsequent occasion i was confined during the day in the same prison that had been the scene of my nocturnal encounter having excited my father's ire for some mischievous trick and for which in spite of napoleon's remonstrances i was to be condemned to a week's imprisonment i was taken to my cell every morning and released at night only to go to bed the emperor's great amusement during that time was to converse with me through my grated window and he generally succeeded in making me laugh by mimicking my dolorous countenance he was much surprised and amused to find me on the third day of my imprisonment busily employed making myself a dress and was more astonished still when i told him it was a voluntary act that i had in a fit of desperation at the dullness of my sejour in the cellar begged my old black nurse sarah to give me some work i regret that my fit of industry did not survive the term of my incarceration the emperor advised my mother to keep the dress i had made during my imprisonment and occasionally exhibit it to me when i was contemplating any rash act which might bring down a renewal of my late punishment he always denominated it the prison livery End of chapter sixteen and seventeen